Marty. All right. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks to all the coaches and everybody. I, first feedback I've had in two years. So Good, good. Glad to be here. Um, so, entirely selfish question. So, I'm 50, and uh, right. I still don't know how to eat. Neither do I, Marty. Look. No, I understand. I just don't care. I know how to eat. I just don't do it. I know. I, I, I had I had an 18-year-old diet kid ruin me. I, I was 275, and I was actually making reasonable progress. And mm-hmm. now I am 212 and way back. So I'm catching back up. But I'm just trying to find out how do I eat to get correct without becoming a giant fat ass again. How fat were you when you were 285 or whatever you were? I was huge. Gigantic. Fat land whale looking oh, yeah. walrus without tusks. <laughs> right? Uh, but you were making progress, right? You were making good progress. You, I was. All right. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, the Probably the best answer to that is to... Uh, you know, there are some general guidelines, okay? Yeah, there, specific you, the specific di- guidelines are going to be numbers, right? They're going to be numbers. They're going to be grams of protein, total calories, divided into fat and carb, all right? right. And, so, and I mean, you guys don't give any real specific guidelines. I don't because I'm not the diet guy. I'm not the diet guy, but I can tell you that at your age and at a body weight of 212, you're probably going to need to shoot for 100 and, or 250 grams of protein a day and an additional quantity of fat and carbohydrate that will depend on the, the division of which will depend on the rest of your daily schedule that probably constitutes 3,800 to 4,000 calories. So that's basically 1,000 calories of protein and 3,000 calories of other stuff. And, And depending on how you react to carbohydrate and fat, we might skew the the percentages of those two macronutrients. But if you want specific advice, the specific advice comes in the form of numbers. And those are kind of where you start. Now, within those selections, you want to, you know, eat good quality stuff. You know, you probably don't need a bunch of bread, potatoes, white rice. You know, but there may be circumstances under which you do. Uh, Right. So why don't you up the quantity of the good stuff that you're eating right now? What's your diet now consist of? It's mostly, it's probably about 45% fat. Um, Protein's around 230, and then I fill the rest up with with fruits and vegetables just to get get the carb number up to about 3,500. Well, I think you're probably doing the thing correctly, I mean, you're in good enough control of your diet to have lost 70 pounds. 
you're familiar with the process of quantifying all this stuff. So I just think you take it up to 4,000 calories. I'd up the protein a little bit more and continue on. Have you gained any weight back? What was 212 been the lightest you've been? No, I, I got the 209 and then I just in like the last three weeks, I got the 212. Well, I think you probably want to get back to 235, 240 pretty quick. You'll train better at that body weight, but you're like 6'4", right? 6'3", yeah. 6'3", 6'4". You need to count on weighing. I mean, in shape, you're going to be 250. You need to get comfortable with that number. Makes me nervous, but yeah. Well, no, it should. you're going to have to master that because, you know, being a fat slob at 300 pounds and being fit at 250 look different. Okay? Yep. So just, you know, wrap your head around that idea. You mentioned, you mentioned yeah. yesterday that the, when Westside does the dynamic effort method, it's not doing what they think it's doing. Yeah. I'm just wondering, we do the power clean to maintain our ability to display our strength display our power as our strength improves. Right. Are they, right. I'm just asking her, would that be accomplishing the same thing or, or not? So, Would, would power they, clean be accomplishing the same no, thing as dynamic? When they're doing their, like say their speed squats. Well. Would that be accomplishing the, the same thing? All right, let's talk about the deadlift and see if we can illustrate the problem with with the dynamic effort movement. I like dynamic effort stuff for older, intermediate, advanced type lifters because it's a good way to get a, a hard workout without a gigantic amount of weight on your back. Okay? But what is the difference between a power clean and a dynamic effort deadlift, like a dynamic effort pull. What's the difference? Well, no, no, it's, it's more fundamental than that, all right? How do you miss a dynamic effort deadlift? I suppose you could hook the tendo unit up to the thing, and if you don't get the number, right, then you missed it. You could say you missed it, all right? The advantage of doing a clean is if you don't accelerate it sufficiently, it doesn't rack. And racking it gives you a task and a method with which to complete that task that you know caused the acceleration to take place. Okay? So in my estimation, it's superior because it's inherently Accelerative. A dynamic effort deadlift is a deadlift that you volitionally pull really fast. It's easy to not pull it really fast. What if you're tired? You know. If you're a little off, you're tired. How do you fix the clean up so you can still do the clean? Pull some weight off of it. Now I guess you could do the same thing with a dynamic effort deadlift. But once again, the movement of a deadlift is not 
inherently explosive. Whereas a clean cannot be done slow. Okay. And and I, I'm, I'm probably going to misconstrue the notion, but as I understand it, the dynamic effort method was was touted as a way to get uh, extremely high motor unit recruitment rates with exercises that are traditionally performed slowly. Would you agree with that? And to a certain extent, that does in fact happen. But the only way to achieve extremely high, near max, or max, 1RM, motor unit recruitment is to do a heavy weight. That requires all of the motor units to be recruited at some point during the movement pattern. And an explosive squat, explosive deadlift, explosive bench doesn't do that. I don't know how close they get, but, but they, they just don't do that. And beyond that, I really don't know that much about it. So, all right. That's my question. Uh, has to do with like the mental aspect. I'm sure in your time coaching people, you've had someone who's had like a mental block when it comes to a certain weight, whether for a guy that's like putting three bars on the plate for a bench press, wondering how you work around something like that. Someone who just physically could probably handle the weight, but from a mental point standpoint is checked out. Well, a lot of that has to do with fatigue. You know, there's a lot of things that will make a guy feel as though he can't handle the load when in fact he can. You know, a lot of, most of it has to do with shit that's going on outside the weight room, right? Uh, that has to be all straightened out by the lifter, not the coach, okay? Well, you have to prepare. If you're going to do this program, you have to structure the other aspects of, of your life that affect the recovery aspect of what we do in the gym around what we're trying to get done, right? You know, if, if you go home from, from the gym every night and get in a big, great big giant ass knockdown drag out fight with your girlfriend, you know, where she runs into your car and, you know, comes into the house and throws your stereo out in the street and, you know, calls the cops on you five times a night and shit like that. <laughs> you can't train like that. I guess my question okay. is so much from a, as a trainer, like but, as the coach, how do you deal with the client who might be having that mental, like, simply can't get over it? How do I deal with a personal training client? that doesn't want to lift the weight I've got loaded on the bar, I'll either lie to them about what's on the bar. Oh, I do that all the time, yeah. Oh, I always do that. You've got to lie to them. You're training some 50-year-old girl that, that is, is afraid of 88 pounds. I've got her squatting 88 tonight, right? And... She says, well, this looks awful heavy. Let's, let's go lighter tonight. I said, oh, this is lighter. 
This isn't near as much as you did last time. Really? It looks real heavy. No, no. Last day, here, look in your book. Last time, you did 86 pounds. Okay? Now, look at that load on the bar. I'm, that's 82. Look at it. Well, okay, if you say so, I take it out. Man, this really seems heavy. Look, maybe you're tired. Just do one. Do one rep, okay? It does a rep. All right, now do another rep. Man, this is really heavy. Just do another rep. Come on, just do another rep. Just one more. And I'll get five reps out of it. You just have to wheedle and cajole and lie to them and whatever you need to do. Now, if you've got someone that ought to be more motivated than a personal training client who doesn't want to do it, like one of the kids at the gym that's not paying me to lie to them, well, if they don't want to lift it, they don't want to lift it. Not everybody is good at this. Not everybody has the balls to get strong. So, I, I'm not going to take on a task that's not my job. Okay, if it's my job, I'll do what I need to do to get the thing done. But I'm, you know, uh, un, unmotivated people are, uh, there's too many other people we need to help besides unmotivated people. So I don't, I don't deal with them. I just let them stay like they are. And when they get motivated enough to, do something constructive, then we'll bend over backwards to help them, but not till then. Okay. So with uh, somebody like Brian Jones, who was able, you know, he broke his femurs, had those pins in his legs. Well, he broke his tibias technically. Yeah. Like yeah. <clears throat> and then had the pins in them and got strong and eventually had them removed. Is that can that happen like in any body? Part, or does it have to be kind of somewhere where a lot of muscle mass can grow or skeletal muscle? Oh, so you're asking me if any bone remodeling will push the anchoring hardware out eventually if you lift weights on it? Was well, that what you're asking? I don't know. Probably. Probably. But see, you can load a tibia and an ankle and all that other stuff pretty thoroughly. I don't know if you would get the same effect with a cervical fixation appliance. I don't know. I do not know. Because it wouldn't be loaded like your ankles and tibias are. Would it happen in an ankle? Yeah, it probably always happens on an ankle if you train. You know, if you... If you will not listen to people that tell you you can't do it, yeah, I think it'll. I think it's probably pretty typical. But doing that is not typical. So really, honestly, we don't have a lot of data. My feeling is that yeah, that's probably what would normally occur. Okay. So you've stated that the military does it incorrectly as far as conditioning soldiers for endurance. I guess the question is, how would you change that, and how would you quantify it or test it at the end? Because right now, you know, they have the push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. Yeah. How would you change that quantifiable matrix that we use at the, at the very end to test it? Well, I wrote, uh, I did an interview with the guys from Ranger Up 
a couple of years ago, and I detailed my thoughts on that. So if you're interested, we've linked that, we've linked to that, that printed interview uh, from the website, Ranger Up, the online magazine, Ranger Up. And uh, that interview is linked in the interviews, I believe it's the interviews section of that little thread up at the top of my Q&A. Rips interviews with articles and interviews with other websites. So look it up in there, but uh, obviously what I'd like to see happen is that <clears throat> a strength approach be used in basic training instead of an endurance approach, because an endurance approach is obviously pointless. And young men get strong very easily, but it takes a while to do it. Young men that can run real well are not much use in the military of 2016. Stronger guys would be better. It's easy enough to get them stronger. It's a simple process. Talked about it all weekend. And we're wasting a bunch of potential by having them go out and run. So I'd like to see them get stronger. I'd also like to see the test reflect a, a, a strength and uh, anaerobic emphasis. I mean, it's not World War I. Mechanization is how we get around, not running now, right? So I'd like to see a double body weight deadlift be the standard. I'd like to see a two-thirds body weight press be the standard. And I think I had a chin-up requirement in there. Ten chin-ups, something like that, maybe 12. I can't remember exactly what it was. Haven't thought about it in a while. But I do remember that there was a 400-meter uh, sprint was the longest running component in the deal. And uh, I would furthermore, I would remove any kind of body composition assessment. Because if a guy can do that at a body fat of 25%, fine with me. He's useful to the unit. Why do I care what he looks like? So they are changing that. By the end of the year, the body composition is going to change. Good. But nobody has to deadlift. I mean, <clears throat> there's like I've, I've had a, I've been a, when I was a commander, I had soldiers that were stocky guys that would come in and they were, they were lifters. Yeah. And they would come in and they'd have to be taped. <clears throat> and as soon as they came to my office and I saw their paperwork and I, and I looked at them, I said, go away. But that was the decision I made. Yeah, that, you had enough sense to do that. But the culture is endurance. Correct. Because the officers like to run. And that's all there is to it. The officers, the people making the decisions, like to run. And so they're going to make you run, too. I wouldn't say all I, I officers that's because, because I'm an officer. <laughs> not all <laughs> officers, not all anything. Yeah. Okay? But you do realize that the majority 
of the people in a, in a, in a position to make these decisions like to run. And they want you to run. They want to see you run it. Running makes good leaders. Yes. Oh, always. Yes. It's the, it's the primary characteristic of a good leader is can he run? Let's say you get in a real bad situation way behind the line and you've got to go home. Are you going to jog home? That's why I put the 400-meter sprint in there. I don't see a case for it. I don't see a case for a five-mile run. You know? Yeah, it's hard. But jumping off the building is hard. Does it apply to what we're doing? That's the question. How does it apply to what we're doing? Training should apply to what we're doing. Strength applies, right? And I'll, I'll ask you to remember that if you get a 25-year-old man strong, he can probably run anyway. But how far could, how, do you have any problem running five miles when you were five, uh, 25 years old? No. And neither does anybody else that's in shape. And running and running and running and running and running prevents strength acquisition, which we really do need, as you just, as you just said. So you have to structure your training to get out of it what you need for combat readiness. And running five miles does not improve combat readiness. Unless we're going to, you know, run to the fight. Very slowly. Run, very slowly. run very slowly to the fight. The and the fight's five miles away. It's more universally I, would, I, would, I would suggest that that's a poor use of resources. 